Welcome to Not the Only Kids in the Hall podcast. This is uh, episode by episode, sketch by sip, sketch recap of uh, the Canadian sketch comedy show Kids in the Hall. We're on season one, episode seven. We're joined by my co-hosts, Jared Emick and Anna Mae Lutkin. Hi. Uh, how you guys Woo! doing? Woo! Co-hosts! <laughs> Let's go! <laughs> <laughs> but uh, even more exciting than that, uh, today we have a very... <laughs> <laughs> wow cool we have a, a, a great guest uh you've probably seen him on the chris gathard show uh at ucb in new york on all kinds of teams there uh and uh he's a great actor and comedian uh david bloodband blood thank you for joining us hooray so much. hello hello thank you so much for having me on you guys this is fun i love k-i-t-h <laughs> The wow, you must really be in the know. That's what they call it. <laughs> the kids, they the biz. That's an insider term. <laughs> so you were telling us you you you're a, as big a big fan of, of Kids and All. You grew up watching it. Uh, I can, did. Can you give us yeah. like your intro? Like, uh, can you give us like your yeah? Your I guess stats. like intro to you. Yeah, your kids in the hall. Yeah. So I I was a bit yeah. I loved Kids in the Hall when I was uh, a little kid, and and that's the and that's something interesting that I'm noticing about your podcast about about your podcast and about the show and the and them in general. A big consensus of people that I know who like Kids in the Hall discovered them when they were children. Like like sure. I think I sure. first saw it at like 11 years old. Like far too young to be watching something with some of the material they're going in with. But like, I do think there's something about it that appeals to kids. Maybe the, there's like a lot of brightness to some of the colors in it. It's like, it's it's something that feels like it's more childlike than like, I don't know what a more sophisticated example would be, but I feel like, like the performances yeah. are really broad and a lot of the writing is super yes. repetitive. Like that's what the jokes are about. Yes. So I think, it, yeah, it is appealing to kids. I and also it, find they embrace the kind of just like, fuck it, let's be weird mentality. Like, yeah. It almost feels like sometimes you're watching like an all that sketch or something or like yeah, a Nickelodeon yeah. vibe of like, let's just be silly just to be silly. I see yeah, Nick like and May laughing at me. I'm not laughing at you. I, yeah. I think true. I'm making a great I'm point. Oh, okay. You think it's true? Because he looks mad. Good. Good. No, that's perfect. That's perfect. No, I'm not no that's exactly mad. what I wanted. Um, that like, would you, you agree with that, Bluff? No, yeah, there's like a a, a very um, yeah, there's like a there, there's like a ch- a children's television sort of palette to it. Yes, I don't know what it is though exactly, but you're right. But yeah, I think you're spot on with the all the performances are super broad. None of the premises of their sketches are very smart. They're all pretty dumb. <laughs> They're all pretty like non observations. It's a lot of like kind of anti humor comedy baked. Yes, into... there's a lot of that even in the first few episodes. Yeah, and I and and I think like something I that really resonated with me when you said this, Nick. Listen, listening to your other other episodes. I don't know how many guests you've had that have listened to all the episodes so far. <laughs> yeah, I'm the only one who's ever listened. You may be the only person who's ever listened to our podcast at all. <laughs> we don't know. The all five. What is this number six? We're ta- we're talking about number seven. I think I've listened to the first, whatever you have on right now. I've listened. To all. Yeah, this is what Nick, our seventh episode. I this guess is, this is episode seven of Kids and All, but our eighth episode because we also covered the pilot. Yeah, we like to make things really confusing right. here. So 
but like I wanted, but like the uh, the thing that that resonated with me was what when you said Nick that you liked the intro, they're like the sketch intro, mm. which is for me maybe the main reason I watched the show. Wow, which is one of the things that sets it apart from every sketch comedy show ever. Now they explain. Have a- explain. I mean, it, it strikes me as a, a somewhat derivative, but maybe I'm just maybe I'm I don't know. I don't I'm, think I'm it is at the future and like, regarding it as the yeah. To me, to me, like looking at like, and I've watched a lot of different. I've watched a lot of sketch comedy, and I've uh, I've firmly believe that their intro can make or break a show for me. Like it's like if you don't have anything that will suck me in immediately. I'll, I'll generally think it's corny. Like in Living Color, I loved their intro. It's yeah. it gets you engaged. This one is fun. It like it paints them as a and and, and we'll, well I, I want to get into why I think why I love and hate sketch comedy so much. But like <laughs> what I what I like about this show is that it is one of the very few shows few sketch shows that like paint the small group of people as like a team. I think um, Baroness Von Sketch does it right now. Pretty, the, 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 I think uh, another Canadian uh, uh, sketch team, all women uh, that like, they have that same like, we're a team. We're a team that has a show. Right, the IFC show, right? Yes. Uh, yes. And, uh, Birthday Boys also had that. Yes, um, I love Birthday Boys. Um, the uh, In Living Color is a great show, but it's that's more of like this is a network show. That's more an SNL model. That's more of like an SNL like direct competition. It's less about mm-hmm. the cast and more about like it is the the content and the tentpole. The, this is like this is the base, the other base for sketch comedy. Right, people it's an every man for himself, uh, you know, mentality. Yeah, the cast right. came and, and went. None of them have none of the no other sketch intro has surf rock music to like just people walking around the city. There's something charming about it. It's they, nice, they felt like right? a band. Like they, like this was like, like this was like a cool rock band. Of, of, yeah, like, but that, that the grew thing, up together. But the thing that I also think is what is their downfall is that they're such a unit that they're. I went through a big kids in the hall, like rewatch during the pandemic last year. Like oh, I wow. had, I grew I had the DVDs. I grew oh. up, I watched, I, same as Unic. I saw the live show in 2000 uh, when they were on tour, same guys, new dresses. Yep. And I hated it. I Great hated title. that. Show. I thought that was, a, I thought that was like a really like bad sketch show. And wow, I saw really, that, even at that age, even, I, I'm, I'm, I'm intensely critical. <laughs> I've always been, <laughs> Like I've always been like a thing, and that's why I'm like watching, rewatching the show recently. I'm like, Kids in the Hall does not hold up. I would say across the board, it's pretty. Mm. So this is your thesis statement. This thesis statement is, but this what you guys are covering it all in order. I will say it gets much better from here. Three, two, and three, or no, three and four, I think are the better of all seasons. It has most of the bulk of the popular characters. Uh, May, we got a ways to go with this. Yeah, we got a ways to go. Well, I actually thought while I was watching this episode, like it didn't make me laugh out loud very much, but it was the first time where I felt myself really like enjoying the sketches as a whole for a while. It's for the first time in a while. 
they're yeah. they find their footing. Yeah. It takes them a while, and like uh, you, and like you said, Nick, like the the hour pilot is such a kind of they got their family and friends to like all go there. And I have a sneaking suspicion they use a lot of the same laughter in multiple. Like it's like so much of the laughter is canned. I don't believe it's shot really live at all. It's a, wow, well, really not at all live. I don't That's think you say that because I, I actually find that oftentimes the it's lacking the presence of a track and you're sort of like jokes will go and bomb yes. or they'll or laughs will come at the wrong time or it'll I sound think, off. Well, so I, you think it's the opposite that they're using a track and it still sounds weird? Well, I think that I think it sounds weird because they're using a track. I think a lot mm. like the way especially the way Kevin like I took a I took one of those classes with Kevin McDonald. Mm-hmm. And he, said he teaches of, sketch writing classes every now and then. I mean, all around the country does, but he, 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 taught, he, taught, at the, he taught these like one off workshops. We're hitting on all our recurring bits. <laughs> yeah. Bits, <laughs> I, was like facts. <laughs> I was like in high school. So I, I didn't even realize what I was doing, what I was taking. I was like, I was just the guy from kids. My favorite member of kids in the hall. Is oh, this was pre UCB, pre everything. Yeah, yeah. This is pre, this is pre like this is I just started like taking comedy classes when I was a kid and like. Uh, and I found it used to be like a little bit after this, but like this was one of my fr- I, I had no idea. I, I just thought he was going to I thought it was like a, I thought it was like a seminar at first. It was like kind of like it was before I knew what the pit really was. And it was in that old black box theater from that's that became the loft. Uh, and it was like him just kind of going over people's ideas and then like talking about just answered like a ton of kids in the hall related questions from anybody. <laughs> and it was right. happy His to talk about class. it. Yeah, exactly. It was happy to talk about it. It was like kind of a ripoff, but it was, but it was like it was uh, a, it was fun and he was very interesting. And it's, it, I've never bought that it was shot in front of a studio audience. I feel like is wow. shot on sketch. Like it's shot in a studio. Yeah. It like the, a lot of a lot of a lot of the sketches are shot in a studio and then they add laughter in later. And that's like why it's awesome. just like a bait, like it's shot like, like a, a sitcom. Sitcom. Yeah. That's well, interesting. I just did a perfunctory Google and there's no answer. But you know, now I'm gonna keep real note of any like noted like laughs. Like we have yeah. good guffaws we recognize. If I back. could interject here, I will oh, say Uh oh, here he comes <laughs> to save the day. Go ahead, defend their honor, Nick. According to their biography, that it was they did. They did always have an audience when they shot it, uh, and th- and they had like the band there playing like in between in between sketches. They would have the Shadowy Men on a Shadowy Planet. Well, playing, I think both uh, things could be true because yeah. you know they add laugh tracks yeah. onto live shots. It comes all the time. Definitely. Yeah, and, and, I, they, and I wouldn't and, be surprised. And like not, it's also not unheard of for them to invite an audience to a taping without like watching them watch sketches on a monitor without the laugh track and record those moments from the laugh track. That's yeah. what they did with Big Lake. Mm-hmm. Big- they invited a lot of people to screen the show at UCB and then got the laugh tracks, like got the laughs from there. <laughs> That's interesting. That interesting. <laughs> I didn't know that. Uh, and yeah, I- was, what was the format of that again? Not to get too off topic. Um, it's like sitcom. Chris is a loser. Oh, multicam sitcom. Yeah. Got it, got it, got it. Multicam sitcom. Um, and, and yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all if, like, especially the uh, the, the film sketches were using, like, canned laughter. That film would, that sketches definitely sense. were. But, yeah, I feel like a lot of, and we'll talk, like, I, 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 I guess I don't want to take up, like, I don't want to 
do too much preamble before we get into the actual episode. But I, yeah. I, I feel like there's a lot I can I can point out the moments when I'm like, that's not this is definitely not shot live. And and we'll <laughs> we'll uh yeah we'll we, we'd love to hear more of your thoughts about kids and all in general as we talk about the sketches anything uh, sparks your memory um and uh yeah i'm excited because you said you did a lot of research about the history of canadian sketch comedy <laughs> yeah we can I'm get curious. into it as we go along but there's yeah. kind of, like It'll come up other th- yeah because like i want because they have such because kids has such a unique style for television but not for canadian sketch comedy i guess Ooh, what a, a lot of interesting tease. they have such similar roots and it's like and all these sketch actors knew each other so it's like there's like right. a little comedy scene in Toronto that where like everybody's kind of in everybody's business. Sound familiar? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, move on to that part of the show. We're looking at season one, episode seven. It's December 12th, uh, 1989. Number mm. one on the charts in the U.S. Mm. Back again. It's We Didn't Start the Fire by Billy Joel. Can you guys hear this? Yes, 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 we can. Um, Great hit. So this has been on the charts previously. Yes, this was on the last one we recorded. Uh, Mm. Sapphire was still number one. I guess I'm realizing this portion of the show will become less and less interesting as time goes on. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Due to the inevitable repeats that will be literally. Well, I have another layer. Because I also did, I did the research of like, you know, the movie box office for December 12th, 1989 was highest. Oh, yeah. Highest grossing movie uh, that weekend. Like this, these are the, these are the top five. Anybody guess what the, what the number one would be? I would guess Home Alone. What year is this? 1989, December 12th. 1989. Uh, God. So there's no, is there a Back to the Future in that year? I'm mm-hmm. trying to figure out. I, I I would go with Back to the Future. Three? Part, I have no part idea. I'm not two? really a movie buff. Just like I'm not a Kids in the Hall buff. I don't know. Yeah. The, <laughs> the, the top three grossing movies for December 12th, 1989 were Back to the Future, part two. Okay. Two. Got it. Parenthood, oh, I got three. number two. What? Yeah, Parent, Parenthood, Parenthood okay. and, and Batman at number three. Oh, oh I've Batman. actually seen, I think, all those movies. Oh. Cool. Mm-hmm. So that was was that. So that's in the pop culture. I love this, it. I, I love that the, context. Yeah, are you a fan of this song, Blood? Oh yeah, sure. I mean, are you are you a Billy Joel? Like, guy? I don't know. What? Are you a Billy Joel guy? You're a New Yorker. I do. I love Billy Joel. It's. I find it that this is one of those songs. I'm like, I, I find it hard pressed to find someone that like. I don't know anybody that doesn't like this song. <laughs> like, yeah. it's very, like... To me, with this un- song, there's that line of people who just generally like it and know the chorus, yeah. and then it's, like, the people who know all the things, you know, like, in the lyrics. Yes. To me, because the lyrics are just a list of things. That's how Historical I interpret facts, this song. Yeah. Right, right. So it's, uh, Wikipedia. it's Wikipedia in a song. <laughs> that's well, right. People well, how get do you really guys, into... Yeah. How do you guys feel about number one on the Canadian charts this week, which was Angelia by Richard Marks? Ooh. I don't think I've ever heard the song know this song in my one. life. I don't know it either. Is that a deep cut, Richard Marks? Uh... Can't be that deep. I mean, it's number yeah, one. Yeah, I was like, I don't know what, <laughs> it's I don't know what Richard Marks is. <laughs> yeah. I only know the one song, but I guess this is his... Uh... Yeah. Can't argue with results. It's, uh, <laughs> it's number five on his Spotify. Uh, so it's is Richard Marks Canadian? I think he is, actually, now that you say that. 
I wonder if that has anything because I know because because you, you guys mentioned Brian Adams another week earlier in an episode, and I'm like, well, yeah, that makes sense. He's yeah, he's the Groover from Vancouver. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I think the stage is appropriately set, <laughs> so we can dive into this first sketch. Which can you guys see this? Yes. Yes. You can. Okay. Hotel Lorette. Okay, great. Let's. I guess let's watch a little bit of it real, real quick. I suggest the bed for sleeping. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. Whereas the chair is very good for uh, watching TV. Right, right. <sighs> Gee, my hand <laughs> shot is cold. No! Oh, here. Here, fit this. Oh! Yeah. Uh, how gracious, monster. Thank you. I thought that was very funny. Yeah, I thought that was a good opening. <laughs> oh, yeah. Loved bed for sleeping, chair for watching TV. Yeah. I also very, just very really engendered the hope in, uh, I really enjoyed the hotel extended universe like it was just fun to watch all these different people in the hotel yeah this is where i think this episode i think is where their sensibilities really start to come out more in the sketches than because they're like their strengths are I mean, these guys are all like film nerds obviously and they love like evoking stuff like fellini and bergman and Rossellini like they're just like they're, they're film snobs and they're trying to evoke these types of scenes which a lot of their sketch comedy is like it's not like sketches they're just long funny scenes yes mm -hmm. yes they're meandering we've, we've that they're meandering they're surreal I actually hated this opener because it's shot awfully it's like the framing of Bruce Bacala <laughs> is so distractingly terrible he's like directly like it's it's like oh he must have had to adr his lines because his mouth is not matching up with what he's saying uh, this, mm. you're talking about uh scott thompson here in the window no like at the opening this this shot i love this that we're frozen on right now this is where i think they should start the hotel larut stuff with these characters well i really like i I can get on board with that, but I just want to point out that it's also a departure for them to do an opening sketch that is repeated rather than just some yes. weird blackout moment. So I was like mm -hmm. kind of glad that we moved from the hallway to the interior of this room and you're like, oh, yes. we're going to keep exploring all these different people who live in this place. So like that was kind of a relief. Yeah, I, I agree. And I wish they had done even a little bit more of that with like even different characters. Yes, I want to go upstairs to this party where the guy needs more and more wine. <laughs> <laughs> more and more wine. It's very funny. I kind of don't get what is happening in this. It's, it's Some of it also is, is like, because I know Kevin McDonald's like from Montreal. So there's all these like Quebec references and like all these like French Canadian characters that pop up like. I have an aunt named Sivvy, so it was weird to like hear them talk to each other, these two women. I honestly oh. was like, it felt like every single fake accent from Europe that you could cram into this <laughs> one yeah. scene yeah. appearance. It, it was like... entirely unclear where people were from overall. Yeah, it felt like every accent and like it was referencing kind of 10 things at once. Like, love, you, you, you rattled off a few like directors and stuff, and, I, and I'm watching it just thinking like, what what is this parodying i guess it i i understand the general genre that it's going for, yeah and i guess that's really all i need 
Um, yeah, I just knew it was a foreign film. That's all. Right, like noir-ish sort of dramatic thing. And then it's like, I, it's it's one of those things where you just kind of know inside your body and your brain, like, yeah, this this is something that's real in real life. I, it's kind of, I mean, I'll, I'll just roll with this. I, I get this. I'm good with this. Uh, no, I, I actually, I think it's kind of the, I, like, I, it's one of those things where, like, I agree with you, Jared, like, it's trying to parody something. It's par- it's try- to me it's trying to parody an aesthetic right. more than an actual plot or like subject or like it and that's one of the things that I'm like I'm fascinated by them because they seem to be doing a lot of things that are like antithetical to like what populist sketch comedy would become. Right. I almost thought mm. in this in these scenes they were parodying like uh, the way gender relationships are portrayed in these sorts of films in a very funny oh, cool. way. Um, you know, like all the like wrestling with this guy or the knife and how he's so much stronger and he threatens to hit her <laughs> and she just faints onto the bed. Like there's just <laughs> I was like, this is what it's like sometimes to watch certain types of old foreign yes. films, you know, where the woman is exactly. just like overpowered they also seem by sheer masculinity. Up- Sorry, the production to that point, like, mm-hmm. I feel like, 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 you know, Blub, you're talking about the cinematography and Amay, you're talking about like just the, you know, it, h- how well they kind of tied in what they're parodying. I, I feel like they went above and beyond. For, first, the, the, they do a lot of drag, but it felt like this drag was elevated, if I may say. Mm-hmm. Like, I felt like they looked... I don't know if it was a seriousness to it or just like the way that they were just kind of treating the costume or the attitudes well, behind Mark the characters. Mark McKinney looks was, gorgeous. I mean, I was about to say like Mark yeah. McKinney is hot, like straight <laughs> so up hot. <laughs> and it was just like, whoa, this is really uh, a cool. And then even when um, Foley came in, he had yeah. a very specific look to him. And I don't recall exactly what it was about his shirt, but I think He's like, like covered in paint. paint. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> very just like a lot of det- attention paid to that. Yeah, very meticulous I, in their costumes and stuff. I kind of don't know what they're trying to say with that character, though, because it is funny. Like he's just going in back and forth in this party. It's also one of those things where, like you don't really ask yourself this type, these types of questions with sketch comedy. It's like, or what is what is this character's motivation? Is he jealous? Is he trying to like you know, these are not questions you normally ask when talking about like, you know, the content of sketches. It's yeah. very like it feels like almost avant trying it's desperately trying to be like art house sketch comedy, which is kind of Agnes one of the Barta. things. <laughs> yes, yes, that's exactly like yeah, truly like a, not just any film like love like a sensitive filmmaker's like <laughs> sensibilities. They're tr- they're they're Bruce McCullough is really trying to push for that type of stuff with them, and I think they all generally like that and can and it it plays to their strengths for being so surreal, almost like eight and a half. Yeah. That's funny. This seemed, if, if I were to guess who wrote this, I would have guessed Bruce McCullough, but he's not in the sketch. So I'm guessing yes, he, he is. He's did the it well. is the bellhop. You keep, you, you, keep you, right. you can wipe that out. from your memory. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. But he doesn't take one of the major roles. So I, I don't know, but maybe he did write it, it but it does strike I, me as a Bruce I, McCullough I, kind of a thing. I feel, feel like, like that is be. the main role in that sketch, that bellhop. I mean, it's, yes. it's him. And then, uh, that weird. Thompson. 
Yeah, with with with, um, with Foley doing some. I can see Thompson stuff, but... writing this and McKinney. Actually. I can see Thompson. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I can see Thompson writing this because he plays the best character. Yeah, he's. It's, he's it's, I mean, he is the. And he has the line, like the, yeah. which also is one of my things is they do really simple things like repeating the same lines over and over again, which is a, which is yeah, that's sketch comedy gold. That's great. Like, just keep saying like, "Where is Tony?" Just Tony Why is... over and over again, right? Yeah, <laughs> I gotta say that that speech was too real for me. I was like, "Wow, this is exactly what it's like after a breakup." <laughs> well, speaking speaking of that, uh, May, I, I wanted to read something from the biography here about the sketch. Uh, so the author writes. Uh, nuanced femininity also ran through the recurring Hotel Arette sketches, which centered on two prostitutes, which I didn't know they were. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. they're sex workers. Oh, yeah. I didn't pick up on that. Oh. We don't. Yeah. yeah. Sex workers. I, I think that's I think that's the that's I picked up on that only because that's how they dress. And like usually right. uh, Scott Thompson loves playing sex workers. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like one of his is like he le- he loves playing women that just like smoke in negligee. <laughs> and like that's this is like his I, I love it and he, he's great at it he's like his he really embodies all these beautiful characters but uh so it centered on mckinney's sylvie and thompson's michelle michelle's rejoinder i can't stop thinking about tony was based on a real moment in thompson's life after a lover named tony broke his heart and ran away to paris oh. i truly just couldn't stop thinking and talking about tony says thompson so that whole first speech i just wrote it all out out wrote it all out at home on a piece of cardboard very quickly so really, that's why so, I like felt so really. Does that sound like he did write it? You know. Yeah. Have you? Guys yeah, that's ever- true. That's true. It must be. It must be Scott's sketch. Have you guys ever listened to um, uh, Scott Thompson's uh, WTF interview from like a couple of years ago? No. Highly recommend it. It's fascinating. He sounds insane. Like he sounds like <laughs> a totally cuckoo bananas crazy person. Like yeah, in, well, a, in a in a beautifully at one point that like he needed a handler to get like from like on and off set and like right. it sounds like, yeah, like he was a little out there. I mean, he I don't seems know. like a lovely person. Like he seems like a, a very like you know uh, a ch- like he's one of those. Type of crazy, soul. kind soul, perhaps. <laughs> kind soul. One of those, like, yeah, type of very charming, crazy people who see. Yeah, him. right. Like, oh, like, I mean, he got on the, he joined the team by because he came to their shows and would like heckle them. <laughs> he would like when they when they would like do shows under like various variations of like these dudes. He would come to the show, and I think he had a drag comedy act for a while. And would like do shows like, you know, with it where they were double billed with kids in the hall and would just like being like, your sketches are bullshit. <laughs> That's not like you're like this. Sort of just, like, <laughs> At least he came up with a good audience. <laughs> and he would yell funny things to the point when he would ruin sketches and the audience would be on his side. So after a while, wow. they were just like, well, do you guys you just want to like and then, and then he like came in with Buddy Cole and was like, well, you just want to join the team and like do these monologues. <laughs> Uh, what are your thoughts on Buddy Cole? Book? Love it. I love Buddy Cole. I think it's hilarious. They're all ter- they're all like horribly racist. <laughs> like you go back and watch a lot of them, and they're like uh-huh. really offensive in like a way that's like Jesus Christ. But like, yeah, some of them are really. Some of them are are beautifully like avant garde and weird. I remember there was one about virtual reality that was really funny. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to get that. Yeah, they get better. Yeah, I saw uh, I saw him do a live a, a live Buddy Cole show, like uh, just a bunch of like monologues back to back at Joe's Pub. That was you know, a fantastic show. Yeah, 
Yeah, he uh, he talked about trying to he talked about first trying to do that show right before 9-11 <laughs> and as like buddy and the, the premise of the show was buddy cole stops terrorism oh my god uh, and this was before 9-11 wow yeah and and 9-11 happened and he was basically like this the show the producers were like this show is way too out there it's not we're this not ready we, we can't do the show anymore because it's basically like because his he, he was he was seeing a filmmaker uh, who was uh, the victim of an attempted a- assassination? Wow. Like he made like a really controversial fi- like short film that made him a mark for the Taliban or something. Like he was like, it was like a political like a political assassination. So like Mark. So like Scott Thompson was like, and this was like in the late nineties. His his boyfriend was like almost murdered for making this short film. So he so it was like on this, on his mind of like terrorism. And he was just like, I got a show, Buddy Cole stops Osama or something. It was like <laughs> along the lines. And then like the twin towers. I, I got it. One of my old characters <laughs> will fight Osama bin Laden. It's fast. very first thought idea. Absolutely insane. Well, let's, uh, Stay on these Hotel Arrette sketches. If you guys have anything to say about uh, either the second or the third beat of these Hotel Arrette sketches, was, did anything jump out at you? Um, the second beat was... Uh, I was... mean, they were all just him sitting around saying... Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I thought it was very funny when Scott Foley came down with the wine bottle and there's like a candle melted into it. <laughs> yes. It was just like a funny prop to me. It was like, I need more. Uh, I like when... I like when Dave Foley said uh, 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 that it smells rank in here. I had I didn't know that rank existed right. uh, that far stick. back. And and, that, and then the follow up is like rank with stories about Tony. <laughs> Not rank at all. Open a window. Uh, in the last very last one, Bruce McCullough comes back, and it turns out he's standing at the bedside of um, Scott Thompson. Yeah. And, well, yes. Love. But I kind of wanted all the characters to be in the room if we're going to do that, you know, like yeah, yeah. Really I, I, oh, that's funny. Oh, that would have been great. great. I thought that's that really part was a little lacking. It almost felt like, like the sex part was 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 fun, but then to have McCullough basically just stand there and just ask for a tip and have no kind of joke. Of but that like, was his whole thing. What else is he going to do? Yeah. Like depart from that at the very end. And, and, and you know, not depart from it, but just link the sex with it or something. Like I just wanted well, some sort of line. I felt like he stood there in the exact same way he did at the at the top of the runner. But yeah, well, Jared, Jared, you just to back up real quick, you said that. Bruce McCullough was the lead character of this sketch? I know. It's a little weird. I want you to wrap your head around this, Nick. Bruce McCullough was in this sketch. He played <laughs> no, in the no, I know he was in it. But you said he was the lead character of this sketch. I mean, this, this oh, was, oh, did I say yeah. that? Oh, I didn't mean that. Um, okay, okay. No, this goes to my lead. blocking note uh, earlier. Like, if, we had, if he had a blocking that made sense, we would all remember that he's in this sketch. <laughs> That's His right. This is totally obscured. Like, what is this? <laughs> what is this blocking? I love this shot of of the the on the third where we That's come beautiful. on just this face glamour shot of Thompson. Uh, yes. Let's McDonald's watch this real on quick. Top of him. That's beautiful. Let's watch this real quick. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's no use. I can't stop thinking about this Tony film. Where is he? Who's he with? What's the guy thinking? Is he thinking about you? Is he on his way back? Who the hell is he? What? Unwell. Oh, 
Oh, how gracious, sir. Thank you. You know, like for watching you, for watching you tip or something, like something, something, something. Yeah, but I, I mean, I, that, I, that, that whole character is very flat. I don't think needs to be in these series of sketches at all, actually. But No, it's I, not necessary I, at all. I, I think it could have ended just on that line about, and who the hell is he? Like, I thought that yes. was funny enough. That was very. I I also I agree with the May. Like I love the, I love the pan out, but I I think it, it's a much better payoff if the entire party from that room is there and like Dave Foley comes back in and is like I need to borrow yet another bottle of wine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well let's uh let's move on to the sketch. This that sketch is called Plummet, and it's about four people uh trying skydiving for the first time and. Uh, uh, they all die. I guess this sums it up. The classic uh, sketch comedy location. Yes. In a plane, people jumping out. It is a pretty fun sketch of comedy set to see. Because you've I've seen like a lot of skydiving sketches. It seems to be a thing where like people either have like experiences from skydiving that they're bringing in to the writer's room or zero experience. And they're just trying to like write something that they want to do. And it it like, already what? fits over that format, right? Yeah. It's like you need to heighten one. Each person goes out. Each person is a beat, you know. It's exactly. like there's an obvious, you know, oh, it's skydiving, but this. Or someone's supposed to meet someone at the bottom. Or someone's supposed to do this. Or Let's and watch this. this uh, very easy. Let's watch this Kevin McDonald portion real quick. This is when Kevin McDonald jumps out of the plane. It's hey, guys. My face. See you on the ground. Gee, Kelly's a nice guy. Yeah, he is. Wait a second. I'm setting myself up for an ironic tragedy. Popular guy jumps. Parachute doesn't open. Gee, he was nice. Why does it always happen to the nice guys? I'm not gonna be a nice dead guy. What are you losers waving at? Give me back my comb, straw head. <laughs> See you crap burgers on the ground. Very well, I love that. Very well. <laughs> I really thought they were going to say something like, damn, that guy was a jerk. <laughs> you know, like, that's now yeah. how they're going to remember him. And they didn't. Uh, when Mark McKinney breaks away and he's like, hi, I'm Mark McKinney. And it reminded me of how yeah. Glow felt like Kevin McDonald doing that in an earlier episode was just like a cop out. And I'm like, actually, this is just the thing they do. And there's this huge yes. burst of applause and joy when it happens. And I'm like, okay, if this wasn't filmed in a studio audience, then they're really trying to push this agenda of the breakaway See, thing. That's, well, that's, actually, that's your evidence, right? That's, well, that's yeah. one of those things where I was like, is that applause break makes no sense. It doesn't make any like logical sense into why they, because who are they? They're nobody. They're like, there's no reason for them to get an applause break in those moments. Let's watch the applause break real quick. Let's listen to it. I feel lucky. Hi, I'm Mark McKinney. <laughs> what does that mean? Like, what, is, what is this? Come on. It's so quick, too. Out of three marriages ends in divorce. Yeah, I mean, I believe it. I think that, first of all, I think they probably have an applause sign. <laughs> so... It, sure. They're, they're yeah, that, 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 yeah, but could. that was almost like robotic. Like that was almost like, right. Like I like, the switch, and it became like calm, praiseworthy applause. As but also, 
But also the kids in the hall, they had like a rabid fan base in Toronto. They sold out the Ridley every week. People would come yes. see their new sketch shows. And I think there was probably the same people coming to these live tapings. So I, I, I do think they were yeah. like semi-celebrities uh, yeah, in you're Toronto probably comedy. Right. You're probably right with that. I think like, I actually agree with Glow's, with Glow's thoughts about like those to the audience reveals being cop-outs. I think they're cop-outs now because we recognize them to be kind of hacky at the time, like this was probably not done that much. Like, there's not really. It's also it's also a thing where it's like it. It kind of. I th- I'm of the thing where like I do think it's a. It's probably a little canned, and they are trying to hammer home the idea that you should be excited when these guys come out on stage. It's like, this is, hi, I'm Mark McKinney. My least favorite member of all of them, by the way. <laughs> uh, every, me everybody's. too. I'm very yeah, <laughs> he's kind of, it's kind of one of those things like, oh, of course he's the one that actually got the SNL job. <laughs> like, of course he's like, like he's one of those guys who's like, he's just unlikable enough to make you like resent that when he gets successful, but also like he seems the type of boring that is like, well, he's talented, but like accessible enough to people of like, he's not, he's not like weirdo Kevin McDonald who's, uh, or like, uh, you know, just a little bit above better actor pay grade than like your average sketch actor. David, I want you to DM, DM me and like, tell me who you're thinking of in the UCB community that you're uh, associating with Mark McKinney right now. <laughs> uh. I can go. I can go on and on. We all like but, identify like, with at least one of the people, kids in the hall. You know. Yeah. I, well, uh, this might be. Uh, well, I mean, like, but anyway, like, I, I've, I, I, I feel that with Mark McKinney, and he's also like the one that gets the most consistent acting work on like television, especially in Canada. Well, he's also he's guys. on Superstore here, or he was on yeah. Superstore. Uh, Superstore. Yeah. I, I, I he also. Uh, and it kind of fits in with uh, with what you were saying about him. Just I don't know. He, my, I, I was going to say that he uh, he was like the, kind of the sketch writing consultant for Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Sure. Aaron Sorkin, sure. SNL. No, that tracks. That tracks. It's just like that kind of like <laughs> a kind of pompous sketch comedy that I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, oh, yeah. It, like he, he, he would be the perfect guy to, to do that. And uh, uh, this the show didn't work. <laughs> but that's what but, I. But that's 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 actually like it's it's funny. You, uh, this is the thing why I think they don't hold up anymore as a team for many many reasons. One of the but they kind of as a group embody the thing that people find mostly off-putting about sketch comedy, which is <laughs> mostly white men doing offensive things. That's true, yeah. That and kind of sums up the kids and all. And the and that like attitude of sketch comedy that is a holdover from late eighties, early nineties kind of like video store snobbery. Mm, yeah. Where they like right. have highfalutin taste and like kind of treat people like they're idiots and they're like all of their things are trying to say how dumb the way SNL makes sketch comedy. Like all of their characters, like Cabbage Head. Which is which I agree is a stupid character and like uh, probably purposefully anti comedy, but also does the thing that's like this is makes me like not like you guys like you're just like not uh, like you're like making fun of doing a like kind of catchphrase or runner character parody, but it's 
aggressively unlikable as well. Like it's it's one of those things that has this mean sort of streak to it with hat, which has like which is a holder from like a lot of comedy in this era. Yeah, you know it also, yeah, and also what you just said, David, really reminded me of like Kevin Smith and Clerks or like yeah, movies. me too. I was yeah. gonna say the same. Thing. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> okay, well you can say to your point. Oh no, I mean I was just gonna say yeah, it it, it reminds me of like uh, yeah uh, Randall from Clerks. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that sarcastic, uh, video store clerk, but also just, uh, I don't know, like nerds, there was like, nerds were different in the nineties. I think yes. like it was <laughs> nerdy. It was like when you were in the nineties, it was like people, you, you wanted to be exclusionary. That's like, that was right. You it was about what you be... don't like a little right. bit more than what you do. Right. But, it, but if you have five guys like that, if you have five guys like that on the team, like imagine I love Will Hines. Imagine if there were five Will Hines on one like television show. That would be like, and all of, I mean, it'd it'd be like, yeah, exactly. It would be like, so it's, it's one of those things. It's like, and I do feel like all these guys are like five different versions of Will Hines. (laughs) Like they have that same kind of, they have that same like kind of like, um, elitist nerdery energy right a little too smart for the room kind of deal yes i agree Mm -hmm. right right yeah and also just like nowadays like um it's the worst thing in the world to be called a gatekeeper like people hate the idea of gatekeepers but back then that was like people loved gatekeeping like it was it was like you wanted to you wanted to exclude people from your fandom and from uh yeah from, uh, from what you liked you wanted to like say oh you like uh, you, you right. were wearing Misfits T-shirt. What are your five favorite Misfits songs? Right, you right. called out I as a poser. I think that's still a problem yeah. with a lot that's of still a big communities. Thing, yeah. and, I'm sure it yeah. is. Yeah, but but I think there's also a big backlash against it. Uh, but but yeah, I'm sure there's there is a. Uh, I feel like there is a consciousness of it now being a th- because it's old because it's like that's the thing about it. that aesthetic is also hacky, like that aesthetic is like is so much about like is so part of comedy, but it's as old as any other like comedic premise. It's like, well, this is, you're just like, right. you're fucking Quentin Tarantino. Like who cares? Like, you, you, like, you know, it's like you have all this taste and, but you, and you talk about what's good and what's not. And it's, it's just snobby. It's just bullshit. It is. But a part of me still loves it. I love, I mean, I love Quentin. Tarantino. Oh, sure. No, I mean like, yeah. I, I, I'm, I, I love mean, Will Hines. I love Will Hines and I, and I love all this stuff too. And I love, and I, I, I'm, I'm a snob as well. I, and I've always felt, I've said it before on the pod, but fittingly, this is a show where like, if you do mention it in conversation, like people go, oh yeah, like it is kind of an underground cool thing to like <laughs> among comedians still. So yeah. I almost feel like they've attained what, what, whatever kind of, you know, legend that they've were attempting to, or at least they are still kind of seen as that way, that kind of indie underground punk rock kind of, yes. you got to be cool enough to like a sort of a... Yeah, but I feel like I even mean, that, the phrase punk rock, I mean, it's so associated with the way UCB marketed itself for so long. It is. And it I is. just feel like in a way it's like code, <laughs> it, to me it's code for like white guys doing whatever they want, like especially exactly. ones who have a chip on their shoulder. Well, that's what punk rock sort of is in a way, right? I mean, yeah. it added yeah, what punk rock is. 100%, yeah, right. but I'm like, there's nothing that punk about that because you're still so easily part of the dominant culture to me. Like, exactly. Exactly. There's nothing punk. There, to me, there's nothing punk rock about Lauren Michaels being like, "I should give you a show because I'm, 
you know, taking a break from my show that I'm producing and they don't want, and like, I, like it's, there's nothing really punk rock about, it's very fortunate and lucky and, and, and like, it's cool, but it's also like, how many other sketch groups were there in Toronto that had women on the team that had like people? Of I don't color know. Well, that's team. a fair question. I mean, I, you know, I that, that who knows in the nineties in Toronto? I don't know. I don't know. I, mean, I want to uh, speak to like somebody from another comedy team who like knew them. Yes. That'd be uh, super interesting. That's our new goal. Well, I mean, we can also, I, I should, I should buy you, buy you all copies of the biography because they talk about all, a lot of this. I don't remember it because mm-hmm. I read it like years ago, but, <laughs> but it, they cover this, like what the, what the sketch comedy scene was, like uh in toronto in the i mean all right nick we'll get the damn biography yeah i was gonna say i mean it's a little more fun when you read it and have to tell everybody everything i mean like that way it's super clear that after sctv canada's like toronto's comedy scene especially was like a huge boom like suddenly every sketch group came out to like form and like dave foley and kevin mcdonald met while taking classes at second city and they were both movie theater ushers. Uh, and they have like a lot of, and it's like, it's, it's you know, it, there's so many parallels that to be drawn from like UCB or even with, you know, obviously Second City or Groundlings or any like, and you know, this is also like Monty Python is on PBS in America. So people are starting to get that like in North, like, and they were always popular in Canada as well. So they're like starting to get this like the surrealism in, in in like sketch comedy mixed with like kind of the Chicagoy Second City style. And yeah, the way this sketch ended, uh, this uh, plummet sketch, it was very Monty Python, just kind of breaking the fourth wall and addressing the audience. That seems to be the team kid. What's anti marriage PSA? Um, one thing yeah, that, right. This anti marriage PSA. Another prop thing that I thought was very funny in this was that the two uh fully and i don't remember who the other was they're both wearing glasses and so yeah scott like, thompson and yes and, and, and for a while i was like why are they both wearing glasses and then it's like oh they're twins and i was like of course that's why they put them both in glasses <laughs> so funny that is funny so funny I loved uh, I loved that moment where he's thinking about the odds and then he goes, oh, no. And he grabs a newspaper. He goes, I won the lottery. Yes. <laughs> that was That's very funny. So funny. I mentioned it briefly on the during the video, but I loved uh, his parachute isn't opening very well. I, I guess that's not even supposed to be a joke, mm-hmm. but I just found that very funny that it's a funny turn either of phrase, open yeah. or close. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then. Um, I just noticed this very long walk to get to this joke that they it felt a little bit just ham-fisted in, and I didn't understand why it was put in this way. They said something like, uh, "I think I forget who was jumping out the plane, but they said you're not going to die." He said, "You're you're not going to die on me. You're not going to die on me. You're not yeah. going to die on me." He jumps out, and then I think McCullough says, "He died on him. He died, he died right on, right on, right him. on him. him." Yeah, that made me laugh too. <laughs> that made me laugh a lot. And it's it, very funny. And it made me laugh. I, I, I just thought uh, it was just a lot of setup. They knew they had to say it a lot yes. <laughs> for that joke to read. And it just felt like a long walk. But I, I once we got there, I appreciated the joke. It was a very classic uh, punchline. And I felt like this was like a very classic sketch. The, the, the Definitely of the sketches we watched today, the, the most uh, standard classic sketch comedy sketch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree with that. It was fun though. But let's move on to speaking of uh, punk. This uh, f- the sketch first poem I'll play. This is a uh, Bruce McCullough 
kind of playing a a, te- a teenager, Bobby Terrence, who is a recurring character in the show. This is the first oh, time we see him. Bobby Terrence. I wrote down Bobby Turds. That's what I heard. <laughs> I was like, is this character named Bobby Turds? Already A plus for me. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a great name. I only, I only know it's Terrence because I I, uh, I I I Googled something about it. And yeah, he's a recurring character. Uh let's let's watch this uh this little bit at the beginning. Head is spinning. Hey, the whole world is spinning. I get it now. I understand. <laughs> Mom, Dad, I'm taking up my pen. Fire. Fire, fire, fire. Fire on my brain. Fire. It's personal defense youth made me laugh. That's like an onion headline. We should should say uh, when those guitarists hit, there were two headlines. The first headline was, uh, oh, God. The first one is, yeah, youth angered by world writes first poem. These are these are all onion headlines. These this sketch. And then the second headline is poem bombs. It's personal defends youth. (laughs) Poem bombs. Um, youth vows to add music works night and day <laughs> and, that, and, this, and i think the, the last one's my favorite i think it's youth song not music sniffs symphony head <laughs> 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 yes <laughs> very very funny i kind of uh, was my... like how old is this girl <laughs> Yeah. She looked like a teenager. I she know. looks uncomfortably young for and they are kissing. <laughs> and it was an weird. uncomfortable makeout. Kind yeah. Of thing. I mean that was the joke, but still. I did look her up. So she's she does come she plays Bobby's girlfriend uh okay. several more times in the show. Her, her name is uh Nicole DeBoer, and she went on to play uh Esri Dax on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. She's Whoa. also was in the movie Cube oh. and the show's Private Eyes in the Dead Zone. Uh she was nineteen at the time, so how old was Bruce McCullough? I'm wondering. 20, 23, 24, something like that. Interesting. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, they yeah, it was weird that he made out with her, but they had I, they got a teenager because I guess they wanted. They the, wanted to make out with a teen girl. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, there were several production reasons why it had to be a sexy teen. <laughs> I mean, she's barely legal, so let's get her in there. <laughs> We needed to hire an onset tutors, and so it just worked backwards from there. So I guess he was 28 at the time. So the oh boy, well, that, oh, okay. typical Nick, just oh, trying to get boy. those ages closer, denying the reality. Uh, oh, I also uh, something I, I I found out from researching the father in this sketch at the very beginning uh, when he yells at Bruce McCullough's character, he's supposed to be the tr- the trucker from the last sketch last show we watched do you remember that's that sketch about the trucker no oh there's a, a bruce a mark oh, McKinney mo- monologue oh trucks, yeah right? oh yeah i guess he sells that trucks. monologue yeah, that, yeah, that, monologue sells. right yeah okay I, I don't know if that's, that's accurate that was something i read on a blog i think but uh that's very strange i did enjoy this little uh like wide shot establishing thing before yeah, the sketch i thought it was kind of funny i really liked i think they had some phrase in there i didn't write it down but it was like uh you're in a whole what is it heap of trouble or uh your face full of something <laughs> there was i think it was a face, in the beginning 
I think it was Faceful of Trouble. And yeah, Faceful of Trouble. He repeats yes, that yes. over and over again. And uh, yeah, it just really made me laugh. And I, I, I realized we don't see a lot of that in, I guess, most sketches that I watch, at least, to have this kind of like film establishing. You know, obviously SNL's famous yes. for the kind of wide establishing shots before every sketch that are static with, with nothing, you know. But uh, this notion that they would have these 80-yard lines and kind of a little kind of mini scene from afar before the scene I thought was great. Yeah, they're pushing in. It's like a full. It's like Halloween. It's like a full-on outdoor right. establishing shot of like, yeah, the right. suburbs. Yeah. Um, I I really like the sketch. I I love. Uh, I just love Bruce McCullough making fun of himself as a teenager, which is he I, does over and over again. Just like I think, this is my this is my sketch of the ep. I would have to say. Really. And then wow. I'm starting a new new segment, Jared's sketch of the ep. Oh wow! <laughs> and. I think this one does it for me. I, I love the mixture of film and live elements. Uh, yeah. The newspaper headlines, I thought, were probably the best jokes in the episode. And yes. uh, I just thought it was great. Yeah, I'm starting a segment I'd throw called, that in there. I'm starting a segment called Nick's Sketch of the Ep. And <laughs> this one also gets Nick's Sketch of the Ep. Oh, wow. wow. All right, Good I'm going to start a new segment. It's called On May's Skeeved Out of the Up, and I'm going to just give it to this one <laughs> as <Yeah>. well. <laughs> For the making you know out what? of the teen, I'm just going to take some points away. But it is funny. I really like the um, interstitials of the paper and stuff. Yeah, this one this one wasn't doing it for me to be honest. I liked I think the uh, I think the sketch the all the newspaper headlines are the funniest part of it. Mm -hmm. It it makes me more excited for the stuff Bruce McCullough does later with his film stuff, like with um like I don't think even like they're they're like you guys have a while before they even get to their good recurring characters, which they don't have a lot of. They have a lot of characters that are recurring, but I don't think that many of them are very good. Who are the good <laughs> ones? Like, the good one to me, my favorites are when Bruce McCullough is like he's is the guy that's forty five. Oh, the he's uh, hip, he's cool, he's forty five. Hip, he's cool, he's forty five. He's just like a guy that like does like an, with this insane like wig, and uh, and then the other. I mean, my favorite characters are the um, Simon and uh, oh, Hecubus, yeah. The uh, the evil Kevin McDonald and Dave Foley, the the goth guy and his little henchman. I know so you and I can weird. take five. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking another one we're going to have for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> we famously haven't seen any of the future episodes. Oh, but, yes. Okay. But often yeah. Nick uh, loves to recap some of the all-time favorites. Now, Dave, are you a head crusher guy? No, Speaking I hate head characters. Crusher. You wow. hate, hate head, head crusher. What about Cabbage Head? What about Cabbage Head? I think he Cabbage said he doesn't like him, right? Yeah, Cabbage Head's stupid. It's dumb. It's yeah. really it's aggravatingly unwatchable Cabbage, Cabbage Head. It's like like I get upset watching that character come on screen. Uh, I same with same with Head Crusher. Head Crusher is stupid. It doesn't that doesn't make me laugh. Did it make you laugh when you were younger? No. That Never one was one of the things I would like I would like spit and turn off the TV when that <laughs> spit came on. I like wow. I would like always like I would I would cuz I taped them. Cuz I was on during the day so the biggest my like binging sessions when i would really see them is if i was home uh from school sick and i taped them on tv i had like this big vhs collection of like tape from the tv episodes of kids in the hall that would like run all day on comedy central and uh anytime there was like head crusher the few times cabbage had really pops up i'd fast forward through any of those <laughs> 
I liked I like Bruce McCullough's short films like My Pen. My Pen is great. Yes. I don't remember one. when you guys. Well, I don't know what season that's in, but when you guys get to there, I, I'm I, I'm going to be very excited to hear what you think. And like a couple of other things, I hate Chicken Lady. Uh, I hate like I hate a lot of their characters. I don't think they have a lot of very good characters as far as like sketch comedy goes. They have very funny out there premises, but not a lot of good characters. Hmm. Yeah, I, I would throw in Gavin as a good character the bruce mccall's like kid little little kid who's like uh you know oh uh, yeah with the big glasses yeah 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 he has some fun stuff too yeah um but yeah those were you you hit all the big ones uh oh the uh flying pig which is a dumb flying pig is (laughs) barely a character like i that's a very dumb character it's more of a premise than a character i guess yeah it's i don't even think it's a premise it's neither (laughs) premise nor character it is just Wow, I can't believe they got the stupidest looking pig costume and they put <laughs> someone in it and they like have this thing where people are amazed by it. It's, stuff like that is funny to me when you're like, when people are like, wow, look at that. And it's the cheapest, dumbest looking thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on to this uh, Dave Foy character uh, uh, monologue. The Fletcher Christian is this, what it's called. And it's about a man who uh, has the name Fletcher Christian, which is. I didn't realize it, but it's the same name as the yeah. lead character of Mutiny on the Ma- Mutiny on the Bounty. Hi, my name is Fletcher Christian. <laughs> oh no, not the famous seagoing Fletcher Christian, but rather the relatively anonymous shoe-selling Fletcher Christian. Come to think of it, our lives differ in many fairly major ways. This sketch made me laugh a lot. Or not laugh, I was amused silently, but I, <laughs> I just thought it was like such a simple funny thing to be like comparing yourself to the other person named Fletcher Christian <laughs> and, and like also like the things that he revealed about his own life that all his co-workers hate him and that's very that funny, was very funny to me. that that yeah I like this this also plays into the into the like pop culture snobbery we were talking about earlier because it's like right. oh yeah they're referencing mutiny on the bounty like one of the <laughs> one of those movies that like is a classic people but nobody recognizes it. It's not like in the, the zeitgeist, really. Right. Well, maybe well, maybe it was. To be fair, maybe it was like uh, 30 years ago. I have no I idea. Yeah. Maybe I, it was, I'm but it's like you, <laughs> have to pay, you have to be careful about the reference you pick, right? Because this yes. is a pretty clear, obvious game and format for a sketch. But you really could basically pick anybody. I honestly right. like thought the Fletcher it worked Christian. because even if you I haven't seen right. that movie, it's like clearly he's talking about a pirate. And like, yes. of course, he's not going to have anything <laughs> in common with a pirate as a shoe salesman. Like, I don't think it really matters. Honestly. No, none of, that, none of that matters. And you're absolutely right. Because it, it is very funny just comparing yourself to someone that lived in the 70s. 1700s. It's very, it's right. very funny to have these, and you have such a specifically unique name. Yeah, Bluff. What do you think in general about the uh, the kids and all uh, character monologues? These these monologues where they just address the audience. I think some of them work. A lot to me. A lot, a lot of them don't, and I think it just depends on like what the premise of their monologue is and what the beats are. Uh, I think like. Yeah, sometimes they sometimes it's, it's one of those things. Was like it's a fun premise, and it can either work or it doesn't. And I think this one does uh, for me. I like this one a lot. I tend to like a lot of David Foley's and a lot of Bruce McCullough's. Uh, the Dave Foley, the big Dave Foley one I'm thinking of is the Bad Doctor. 
Do you remember this one uh, where he's uh, Bad Doctor's funny? Bad Doctor's also one of those things. Where it's like, well, that's a hacky premise because now, well, it's because they literally do it to the audience. Yeah. <laughs> like, like even then, it was it was like I was like, oh, I'm a bad doctor. Like, isn't that crazy? Like, <laughs> it reminds me of like you know who remi- you know who really reminded me of Kids in the Hall. It was um, Pangea three thousand. Did you? Guys oh, ever- I loved Pangea three thousand. Dan Klein and Arthur. Meyer. Yeah, Arthur Meyer. And, Similar uh, vibes yeah. to these guys, except I would say even more um, punk rock. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the word I want to use. I don't know, but they have such they have such similar surreal like joke pacing. Yeah, this felt to me like a. Um, they were like a very hyper kids and all kind of. Yeah, yeah. They, this they, did have this did have a surreal joke pacing. This sketch, I thought, it felt mm-hmm. like he. It took very very long to get to a joke. Sometimes he would get into his other Fletcher Cock facts or uh, Fletcher uh, Christian facts, and mm-hmm. um, it would be so long, and you would know it was coming. And I guess you know it. It was just on the verge of too long, and then I feel like he, he, he you know landed it at, at a good time i really love this yeah. throwaway line at the end of the sketch um where he's just you know helping a woman try on a, a shoe and he just says tell me if this pinches yeah <laughs> it just really made me laugh and i think there were there was a couple moments in the in the last sketch too there was a throwaway uh well yeah let's know, uh real quick let's lap track. real sure. quick let's uh let's say uh, let's start, start talking about this last sketch it's called joy makers and it's about a uh, Mark McKinney plays a, a woman uh, hired to throw a surprise party for a bunch of uh, uh, business people, businessmen in an office. Uh, mm-hmm. so that's the basic premise, and they're they're basically they act like little kids. The businessmen, they 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 only know how to do business. Is it that they act like little kids? Or no, not like little kids. Not okay. like little kids. They they act like, uh, but they act like they don't know anything other than, than sort of dumb bit. well that that's the thing i guess that's is the thing. That, I think like you, they, you, yeah. yeah well i think dave we're about to say the same thing is that they kind of are trying to nail down some sort of character game for all of them and i think what they've come up with is businessmen who only care about being a stereotypical weird version of a businessman yeah it and, really feels like it's <laughs> it's businessmen who don't understand human behavior Exactly, yeah. I think right. that this sketch was um, a departure from some of the businessmen sketches and that there was like a, a voice of reason who is this like woman who was hired to right. set up right. a joyful birthday surprise. So mm-hmm. it was actually kind of a relief to have someone acknowledging how weird everything was in some way and to watch her react to it and deal with it in a more realistic way instead of just being like, everyone's acting fucking weird for no reason. Yes. <laughs> Um, and there were a few moments where I was actually surprised and not in a like, what the fuck way. And I'm like, this makes sense with the premise of this sketch. And one of them was like the reveal that the guy who's being surprised is there. Yes. <laughs> and then the other one was when they try to surprise him. And she's like, yeah, have fun with it. And they're hiding behind the desk. And then he comes in and they all just like start wailing on him. Yeah. <laughs> like, both those moments didn't make me laugh. I love the moment when Scott Thompson is like, is like, Oh, and like hides yes. behind the desk, and they're like, yeah, and 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 Nancy's uh, Mark McKinney's like, yeah, that's it. They're everybody get into it. Come on, like that felt like a fun like game move to like heighten whatever they're trying to do because it's it's one of those things. Where, like it 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 does something that I actually think is very funny in comedy is when you establish a bunch of characters 
And then you slowly, over the course of the sketch, reveal that they actually don't know how to behave like a human being. <laughs> like they, like right. as, like I feel like you start off and it's just Bruce's saying weird things of like, no, I am not yelling or whatever. And then like, let's they, like, let's watch a little bit of that real yeah. quick too, actually, because I, I did, I did really like part of this opening here. No, I think you're the one who's very confused, sir. No, 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 you're the one who has things very mixed up. I thought that was really no, funny. I like it is just a tangent, a tangent that had nothing Listen, to do with Listen, does anybody here speak Spanish? It felt like he took oh, too try. long of a beat on that joke. Thanks. Is that just me? It felt like he may have been funnier if he listened just for like maybe a short nope. while and then immediately heard Spanish and kind of had more of a reaction. Jared, you're lucky down. he didn't listen for two to three minutes. Yeah. They yeah. I was going to say, right. they definitely don't need to make right. these sketches longer. <laughs> I think I would have liked it more if he did listen for two to three minutes. But I did want to ask you, though, how do you feel about this kind of sketch, this kind of opening? Do a sketch where it has nothing to do with the uh, with the rest of the sketch, and it's just like a, a throwaway joke at the beginning. Some I feel like some people hate that. I I'm in that camp of I generally hate when that happens. I think now because we're, because we are all trained in sketch comedy and like have been through like have seen a lot of sketch shows, have like been around comedy a long time. Like we're all like kind of critical thinkers, which is why I like listening to you guys uh, talk about this. But I'm I and I fall into this camp too. I was like. Now I can't watch sketches without thinking of like what can, what do I fucking hate about this, and I do right. not like when uh, sketches open with like a throwaway joke that then doesn't really relate to the rest of it. It feels like it kind of bumps me a little bit. That's interesting. I always kind of find that similar to a blackout. I like having kind of just like a little weird appetizer of a joke that makes has no relation, and then kind of getting into it because when you launch into it, I feel like. You know, the setup can be nothing's worse to me in a sketch that has just kind of this slow kind of build in the setup and then just kind of a yes. harsh reveal. I, I I know you kind of get an easy laugh sometimes that way of introducing the unusual thing, just like really in a in like a super sharp way. And you've had nothing before. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. I like it. I like it. Why not? If you're in this weird new world with weird new characters, just tell a dumb joke that you wouldn't be ever be able to tell again. <laughs> uh, maybe I'm so, alone I'm not I don't I don't hate it I don't mind it but it, it is something I think it once someone told me they don't like that <laughs> once probably like a, a director or a coach or something <laughs> told me they don't like it ever since then it's like I, I can't not I always have to notice it uh what did you guys think of this sketch uh in general you know, it's funny. I mean, I mean, Bluff's like, like, you know, you, you guys mentioned some of the bigger beats. I mean, you know, I, I was more of a fan in like, like what we're talking about, basically the minutia of some of the dumb stuff that was not necessarily on game, but just, I don't know, hit me like this whole thing where she's meeting them. And it's like, hi, Nina, Lewis here. McDonald says that to introduce yeah. himself. And uh, I think McCullough says, we already met. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. I want to shake her hand. I think that's super funny. These Some of these other beats where they're actually kind of like, uh, you know, they give the business card instead of a birthday card. Like, who's got the right. card? And they all give their birthday. You know, that, that's that kind of lame to me. I'm not... That, I'm not really enjoying that, and I know that's on game, and it's they're doing office things instead of birthday things, and I don't know. Every normal beat in the sketch just struck me as, I guess, either predictable or just somewhat boring. Uh, I agree with you guys in that I really liked uh, McKinney's uh, Voice of Reason work in this, and that was sort of the best part of the sketch to me. Uh, and I really liked the button, and I liked that callback, and I normally don't like their callbacks. 
um, because they're usually either like you could barely tell their callbacks or like like you were saying before Nick, right. like, this character is actually this character from three episodes ago <laughs> this but this call- actually had a pretty standard classic sketch show callback at the end which i yeah enjoyed, but the meat this of it callback- i didn't really like this callback made me actually think of like I think this this weird callback makes the episode as a whole feel better than it actually is as like a whole <laughs> full episode. It's like in it's like in an improv show if you have like a great blackout line, yeah. we'll forget that the rest of the show was kind of all over the place. The if tech hanging really on the light switch. Let's just yeah, wait for them exactly. to tell one good joke so we could end the show. Like and, sometimes, really and sometimes that, that one good joke can erase the the show leading up to it. I mean, this really sometimes. did feel like this really did feel like a third beat in a Herald. Uh, yeah. Just like, uh, let me play it. Let me see if I got it queued up right. Well, that was fun. Huh? That was good fun. Good, clean fun. <laughs> What's wrong, Nina? Oh, I don't know. I... I just can't help wondering about Tony, wondering where he is. That's <laughs> great. Okay, yeah. I feel like there's very good timing with that. Like it happens fast. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> like why did? Yeah, that was good. It made sense contextually too. Like, there's no reason she also couldn't be thinking about Tony. It, yeah, it wasn't like right. a total reach. No. 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 no yeah, I. You know what this sketch actually? I, like not to, not to keep harping on it, but I I I, I to me this sketch kind of doesn't make sense because none of these. How do I say this? Mark McKinney's character. This this scene feels real. If like it reminds me of doing corporate improv gigs with people and people act like the Kevin McDonald character it was like, I can't do it. I just can't do it. I'm, I'm not going to be able to do it. I won't do it. I'm not going to, I can't do it. Don't pick on me. It's like, if that to me is one of those things, like I want to kind of heighten that aspect of it more. That to me is the most interesting behavior. Yeah. Uh, but then I'm also thinking about it in those terms, which is like, which were like not codified at the time, things like game or like follow the fun or, or like, if this is true, what else is true? These like sketcher, you know, comedy terms that we know now, they're like really drawing from like theater and stand up in the terms of even even callbacks feel more like a like a staged show. Like they're, they're at this time, they're probably more satisfying to see in stand up than they were in sketch comedy. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I was gonna say, I do wonder like what I assume they took classes at Second City. I wonder what those classes at Second City were like in in the 1980s. Well, Second City was always, uh, before you can take um, a class there, you have to take acting, like you have to take acting classes, basically. Mm. You have to be, you have to have trained somewhere as an actor in some conservatory or some like program. Uh, Because they, the early, early training there is a lot of like movement exercises a lot of like actory stuff and people and like if you're going to audition for the main stage and usually and all these guys had like some sort of formal theatrical training of some kind i know mark mckinney and uh bruce mccullough did like theater sports in calgary which, which is that's like that's like improv games, right? That's like yeah, a, yeah. That's like that's like comedy sports. It's like yeah. improv, it's like improv games and like but more, but it also like mixes drama with comedy and, and a lot of stuff. So they and then uh, I think Scott Scott Thompson came with like in with a bunch of performance art background in general, like lots yeah. of 
things. Stand up characters, music, yeah, a lot music. of solo stuff. Yeah, music, cabaret stuff. Well, uh, that's the end of the episode. Uh, but Bloodband, is there anything else you wanted to say about Kids and All in general, or Canadian sketch comedy, or, or just anything? Um, is there anything I, we didn't hit? Well, um, I wanted to just maybe to like. So, to me, I'm always wondering, like, what makes there aren't that many very popular sketch teams that have their own show like these guys do. Maybe Mr. Show is the only other thing at the time at this at the same time. That, existed. that was a little bit after Kids a little bit Hall. after this. Okay. And it was like I think Mr. Show maybe started in 90s. It started like basically right when Kids and All went off the air. But even that wasn't so much a team, I feel like, because that yeah, was are like you considering that team to be two people, or is it? I guess so, because a lot of the because it's a lot of the same recurring character, a lot of the same recurring actors. Yeah, they definitely had a cast. They had a they cast, had a cast. Right? And, and writers, but I feel like it was. But then the only other the only other Canadian comedy thing that existed during this time that was super popular was this, the Red Green Show. Have you guys heard this? No. Yeah, I remember they used to show it on PBS. But yeah, I, it, it's it's, like, it was pretty lame. It's like a, it's kind of, it, it's weird. It's, it's like if all the Shining Time station scenes from Thomas, Thomas the Tank Engine was a sitcom, of like <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of like this old handyman and his idiot savant nephew or assistant or something, like just having kind of like going through like kind of sitcommy premises while a sketch world lived on the outside of like their little cabin or whatever and they would oh. interact with different premises and stuff that was the other that was one of the biggest shows in canada at, at that existed at this same time i think have it started s- maybe in 90 have you seen any of it yeah it's lame it's lame okay it's like, I it's thought like it was whatever lame. it's like all comedy is lame like no no sketch no <laughs> sketch show holds up they all don't do like, in living color has some of the most homophobic right. sketches I've ever seen. And I was also trying to play the game of like, all these guys are great together. I can also see where they would pop on other shows of like, cause they all kind of, I, I feel like they all look too similar to each other and are kind of the mm. same type of guy. But like, I could see Kevin McDonald, and Scott Thompson on a show like in Living Color. Yeah, Scott, they they both stand out to me. I think yeah. you pick the two that stand out from the pack as being able to kind of feature in their own way. Yeah, yeah and, and Dave Foley stands out in a different way. Maybe he stands out in the way he just blends in or something. I don't know. He's a, he's a great straight man, I think. I mean, he, he was great on news radio, I guess is what I'm thinking. Yeah, Dave I'm Foley's, of. I think, the best actor out of all of them. Kevin McDonald's Kevin McDonald is a, is a great performer. has a lot of really funny... Like he has this small parts in movies that he always knocks out of the park that nobody, everybody just like nobody notices. And Bruce McCall is by far the worst actor out of all of them. I think he's like <laughs> so annoyingly off timing with everything, and he kind of puts too much mustard on everything. Well, but he's not that's like what Nick likes about him. I was gonna say that's what Nick likes. I think it's interesting because he sort of embodies the essence of Kids in the Hall, where it's like, yeah. are they? is this supposed to be funny or like, yeah. are they, is this intentionally bad? You know, you're constantly asking yourself with that, with him. And he's in so many levels of irony with, with him and the team in general, but him specifically, his performances, it's always like, Oh, okay. I get it. 
I would you're, I would never say he's a you're good not actor. trying. I would never say he's a good actor. I do think he tries, but I would never say he's a good actor. But I do think he. Uh, I I just love his, uh, just lo- just love his creative voice. I guess I just love his his writing and uh, and. Uh, and, he he uh, definitely tries, Nick. I, I guess what I was trying to say is that he he tries to make it seem as if he's not. I feel. Oh like. so yeah, for sure. Thing. Which is he's, very he's like Gen X. Like, I don't buy thing. that he's not. I don't buy that he's not trying. I think that he's no, trying. Very he's hard. absolutely trying. Yeah. But, but I it's also in an effort yeah. to be like just so kind of uh, I guess out of the reality that he's in, <laughs> and giving the impression that he's almost too cool for the sketch. And uh, I think that and, worked yeah. in against him because he's like. A brilliant mind like I do love his writing and his filmmaking style he clearly has this kind of like almost Lynchian type of storytelling mindset with his with the way his especially once you get to the later short films he does uh, and his short stint on SNL he's got this he's got this like very interesting mind but he I feel like works against himself constantly by putting this like well but I'm too cool for this so I'm just gonna like pretend like I don't care even though I do and like because I think he's he's uh, directed some interesting movies in like a kind of a um, like a Bobcat Goldthwait type of weird where it feels a little too like they're like weird for weird sake, but also like dark and funny. But I but I also see he's like, no, I'm not going to give you like eight million dollars to make a movie or whatever. You're a fucking lunatic. I mean, You're he also like, he directed the. Uh... The Mary Catherine Gallagher movie. Uh, yeah, that's not a very good movie. That's not, that's not a very good movie at all. No, but it's, it seems like a very straightforward movie, I guess. Like, so he, yeah, you know, he can he can kind of do that too if he has to. Yeah, have you seen the he he had he had a show on the CBC called Young Drunk Punk about his like basically kind of about growing up in the eighties in Canada. Yeah. I haven't watched it. I, I I don't know if you've seen it, Dave. Probably I, not. I know. Calgary is a very strange place to grow up. Been hearing about your stories, just like oh god, that's like it feels like it, I I I, it, I mean Canadian provinces feels so I I have no real understanding of how they work, but like it feels like Calgary is one giant like it's like the old west kind of yeah like a lot of like boonies places that have boonies like you know <laughs> like like just the sticks. Yeah. Uh, and apparently, when apparently the like opiate capital of Canada, just really that whole province. Well, we got it. We got into. We've been. We've been sorry. Yeah, it too I long, know. It's too long. I apologize. No, no, it's no it's, nice. It's, we uh, love it. I'm like hearing all it's these great. thoughts. I like getting deeper to this subject. <laughs> Real quick, what do you guys think about McDonald's performance? Because you mentioned him along with uh, McCullough as one of your favorites as far as a guy who could kind of you know just bring a good committed performance to me um he's getting a little on my nerves to be honest he's got this falsetto thing that he kind of falls back on a lot and i used to kind of you know appreciate his kind of like oh i'm committing to a sketch character and he's going to be a little out there and i'm going to get silly and you know i really liked him in that sketch where he saw with the Thompson and McKinney, where McKinney was the guy who was too cool to see a movie with the two of them in that diner. Oh, and, yeah. you know, he had a really kind of fun, goofy performance in that sketch. But the more I watch him, it almost seems like he has this monotonous, kind of high range. Like, every sketch is like, oh, 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 oh. He always has that, like, same tenor to his voice. And, you know, this surprise sketch was just, like, nails on a chalkboard with me of the concept. Like, surprise, oh, surprise. 
Oh, I love that. See, and I, over I, I, yeah, and over. I love his yeah. voice. Really interesting. It just it just is starting to feel grating. And as much as I, fa- I find McKinney to be creepy, and I feel like we all agree on that, um, <laughs> I, I am finding uh, McDonald to almost kind of be sinking in my rankings. He's getting closer and closer to my least favorite cast member. Whereas McCullough is probably on the rise and is probably near the top as far as my favorites if I had to rank them based off of these seven or eight episodes. I feel like there's a difference between performing for sketch comedy and like being an actor and a yes. lot of people who perform sketch. Absolutely. It's like they have a certain... And I, you know, I've done a lot of sketch shows and I know that I have certain things that I fall back on all the time because you're like, mm-hmm. well, what gets a laugh that I can do you know, your body's your instrument, whatever. Kevin McDonald's has this falsetto voice. So even mm, though I don't fair. like Mark McKinney's stuff that he writes, like I, I'm often off, put off by him and his idea of what's funny, I do think each character feels different in a way that the mm-hmm. other guys don't necessarily manage to do. Maybe Scott Thompson Yeah, that's does. true. Yeah, Scott Thompson maybe a little bit, but yeah. McKinney especially is good at that. I think, yeah, I think Dave Foley is... I mean, Dave can weirdly lead a sitcom like he's he has this kind of everyman quality and he's like a good actor mark mckinney was on snl he can play characters he can play a straight man he can you know can play like bruce mccall is so weird and off-putting to me kevin mcdonald is has an annoying voice i will but i also i i am charmed by it and i think a few people are as well but it's also probably one of those things that I feel like people are more like on your side, Jared, with like, mm. yeah, his voice is grating. And like, I could see like where that I could see where it's like if it was between like all of them could is all of them are third and fourth on the call sheet of any movie. You know, they can be <laughs> right. any they can like play the second banana to anything, any like, you know, comedy that existed in this time period. And I hear what right. you're saying about Foley. I mean, I think I think he's very well balanced, and I think he does a lot of things well. Sometimes I don't know whether I feel like he's a well balanced performer and writer, or he's just bland, or he's like mm-hmm. kind of he he sinks into the background in sort of a good way when compared to everyone else trying to be so loud. But mm-hmm. uh, anything that I get the sense that he has a hand in writing, I really like too. So I feel like I'm a big fan of his. And I think he's just a charming. I think he's just a charming presence too. Love well, did, did, Does uh, I, I think I got the impression earlier that maybe Kevin McDonald reminds you of yourself in, in some way. And if oh yeah, a lot of ways, definitely. I mean, just seeing his hairy back uh, heave over Scott Thompson, I was like, oh wow, I got a lot in common with this guy. It's <laughs> like just he's so stringy and like kind of like he's got a grating voice like i do he's got big <laughs> hair and like he's got he's got big hair he's he's like looks really goofy and cartoony and like pointy elbows yeah i relate a lot to that uh to to kevin so physically you relate to him is what you're saying physically also the way he performs i definitely i feel like i've stolen a lot of mannerisms from him now that now that i'm like thinking about it but like, <laughs> and i like his voice because I, I i remember he's he's in lilo and stitch and had like a pretty great run like career as a vo guy like doing cartoons and stuff yeah. which i think i feel like all these guys could do Cause yeah, because Dave Foley was in a Bugs Life. Too. I was gonna yeah, say, I feel the like lead. they do, right? Yeah, yeah. Dave Foley he's, was flick. The lead of it is Bugs weird Life. that he's led so many things. He's led movies. He's led. He's led a sitcom. 
and all and uh, out of all of them, I, I I find that surprising. I don't know. You know what's weird is that Kevin McDonald was the lead of the Kids in the Hall movie of Brain Candy. Yes, which I I watched today too. I, oh. uh, uh not good no, yeah. no, I, I, didn't, I never liked that movie the process but, uh, yeah reading about the production process it seems like they all they were not getting along while they were writing it and they well, fully barely agreed to be in it that's the other thing about wow. uh, like because i've read the biography too nick and and you know talking to kevin uh, talking to kevin that like one class i had was like it seems like all five of them would be the worst people to work with. They all <laughs> sound absolutely like up their own ass, pompous and tough to deal with. And like, I'm sure they're like, cause you know, how old were they in their late twenties? Not that it's an excuse to like at any age, you can be difficult to work with and it's inexcusable, but it's also like, they just seem so cocky yeah. individually and like probably have different visions of where they thought their careers were going to go oh for sure they just sound mm. like such assholes <laughs> well we'll leave it there thank you so much <laughs> well man for joining us is there anything you want to, to plug or anything like that um no not really you uh, gotta start a podcast love i I I had a podcast uh, before coronavirus and uh, called Sexy Spooky Teens. Oh, that's right. I remember that. Yeah, uh, that was uh, me and John Trowbridge and Stephanie Pace talk about horror movies, uh, which was fun. You can go on Spotify and listen to, to those. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for joining us, Bob. And uh, uh, until next time, I guess keep crushing those heads is what we say. <laughs> yeah, I guess we say that.